Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, September the 22nd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles in Leviticus chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a bit of a trans- transition from all the offerings, and chapter 7, as we had with yesterday with Dr. Seleska, really had just a, a general overview of everything, all the details, everything in between that you could think of, we went through. And now in chapter 8, we transition to Aaron and the priests, the ordination, the laws, the oils, the offerings, the turbans, and many, many, many details. Today, not only will we dig into that, but also at the end, we will see Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for their support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have the honor of welcoming Reverend Dr. Kevin Golden, Associate Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Golden, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Yeah, are we not there? Oh, okay. <laughs> we can't hear us at this point. So right now, we're just going to keep moving forward. Oh, do I hear I him now? now. I can now. <laughs> Dr. Golden, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much. Uh, the joy of technology. <laughs> exactly. It, well, well, it's uh, the joy and bane of our existence. How about that? And suddenly, I am not hearing you again. Oh, you can't hear me right now? Who can hear me? Anyways, right now, for our listeners, what we're going to have is continue on to look at Leviticus chapter 8. So I invite our listeners to open up their Bibles to Leviticus chapter 8. And I'll say this too, that as we go through the uh, Leviticus, a few things for you to look for. First of all, the commentary by Dr. John Kleinig is a perfect way to go through the scriptures and to understand what Leviticus is all about. Also, secondly, I had this advice from a pastor when I was at a conference the other day, that we make sure that we don't get lost in the weeds. Dr. Seleska focused on that yesterday in chapter 7, and today as we get to chapter 8, it can get even more confusing as we go step by step to try to figure out what we are doing and how it looks, because at the end of the day, Leviticus is about God being holy and bringing his holiness to us. So that is, and how can we not then look at Christ? And finally, as we look at it, take your time. Whenever we look at anything in the scriptures, we tend to look at it as a reading program. We're going to get through three chapters today. Even if I don't understand any of it, then I'm doing well, because then I'll get done in a year. But when we look at Leviticus, it's important for us to be able to take down... um, to take down uh, uh, every chapter and slow down. Uh, So this morning, I'm going to start in prayer as we look at Leviticus chapter 8. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, you give us the word for our uplifting, for the forgiveness of sins, and that we may see Christ. And this morning, O Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit That as we come before you, we realize that you will open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to believe. And all of it, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. 
Amen. Reminder to our listeners this morning that if you have any questions concerning Leviticus, uh, specifically chapter 8, but if you have questions concerning Leviticus, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can even call us, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Like I said in the introduction today, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Dr. Golden has to say on our text today, is that Leviticus chapter 8 is a transition. Chapters 1 through 7 just goes all out on the offerings. But today, the focus is on the priests. Now, one of the situations when we look at the priests of the Old Testament is that the reason they needed priests is because people sinned. Same reason we need Jesus is because people sin. And as we look at the priest it's important for us to not necessarily make a one-to-one with today's pastors, but to look at them as ones in the Old Testament that the Lord put in place for the sake of bringing God's holiness to us, to the God's people. So they do this in the tabernacle, the temple, the tent of meeting, make the sacrifices. And so we look at the priests now, we see how they were set aside for a task. And this task was something that would bring this holiness to people. Now, what's interesting about it is that what they wear today and the process they go through shows us that they were just like you and I. Because if if the priests were, quote, more holy than others, then they wouldn't have to go through all this. And this is addressed in Hebrews, because in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the distinction of Jesus being our high priest is that he didn't need to go through all the washing and everything else. Oh, is Dr. Golden on now? I believe I am. Hey, all right. Good to hear your voice, and you can hear mine. Yes, I can hear you uh, fantastic, and uh, (laughs) glad that uh, those with greater technological savvy and wisdom than I have been able to weed us through this and uh, connect us. Very good. Well, we'll give credit to James this morning, who is our board control person, and give thanks for him. Well, I already prayed, Pastor, so we are looking at Leviticus chapter 8, but I do want to take a step back, because this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. You've been on Thy Strong Word in KFUO multiple times, but this is our first time. So can you introduce yourself, um, your family, and and your work at Concordia Seminary? Oh, most certainly so. So uh, I am blessed to be married to Joy. We've been married for uh, over 24 years now. So this past July was our 24th anniversary. We've been blessed with seven children. My oldest is about to turn 21, and my youngest uh, is about three and a half years old. So uh, never a dull moment within our household, at least until about uh, 8.30 at night when the youngest ones all go to bed, and all of a sudden it gets nice and quiet all of a sudden. Um, So uh, we've been blessed in that regard. my pastimes being on Thy Strong Word was when I was serving as pastor at Village Lutheran Church in mm. suburban St. Louis, and uh, that shifted also this past summer when uh, I came on faculty here at Concordia Seminary. I'm in the Department of Exegetical Theology, fancy word that just simply means uh, uh, I'm amongst those that really take our future pastors and deaconesses and others and uh, pull them through the original languages. I'm an Old Testament guy, so I work in, especially with Hebrew, um, and uh, help them mine the riches of Scripture through those original languages and really get to know Scripture well in that regard. And so you've only been there for a couple months. Is that what I'm hearing? 
Right, right. Yeah, I officially started July 1 uh, was when uh, the call officially started here at the seminary, and I was able to teach uh, summer Hebrew, so uh, helping uh, students uh, get their initial handle on Hebrew, and of course now I'm into the fall term teaching courses as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your, your, your using your time for us today. And it was funny, yesterday we talked on the phone, and Leviticus is one of those that people aren't always sure, do I want to be on thy strong word when we're studying Leviticus? But you said, I'm an Old Testament guy, I can handle it. So we appreciate your willingness to be on this morning. But as we've already prayed, um, I wanted to ask you this first question, Dr. Golden, is when we look at Leviticus chapter 8, do you have any uh, introductory thoughts or background, or how do you want to start us off as we make a transition, I think, in chapter 8 of Leviticus? Did we lose him again? I think we might have. Well, his introduction is almost there. Like I said before, in chapter 8, we do need to make a transition of realizing this is about the priests. So we slow down um, we slow down and look at the priest and understand what's happening. Right now, I'm getting a lot of messages from James, and uh, I just appreciate everyone's patience as we go through. So we are in Leviticus chapter 8, and I will be reading verses 1 through 4. Now, reminder, this is a the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. As you look at Leviticus chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance at the tent of meeting. Is he back now? I believe I am here. <laughs> All right. Well, Pastor, Dr. Golden, we are, uh, I was going to ask you this again, and maybe you didn't hear me, but uh, what introductory thoughts do you have for Chapter 8? So uh, we just heard one of the recurring items that we'll hear a lot in Chapter 8, but also it's uh, replete throughout Leviticus, also even throughout um, the all five books of Moses, the Torah, that uh, there's this focus upon as the Lord had commanded, so it was done. Now, of course, there's also going to be times when the Lord commands something and his people don't follow through on that. And, of course, there's sin, and then there's the repercussions, the results coming from that sin. But here, as uh, we have the consecration, the ordination, the installation of the priesthood with uh, Aaron and his sons, Everything is being done in accord with the word of the Lord. A lot of the stuff that was even laid out not only uh, earlier in the book of Leviticus, but you go back to the book of Exodus and where the Lord established all the uh, all how the, the tabernacle is to be constructed and how the priesthood was to be established. And so uh, that's a, a major thrust within this chapter is as the Lord commanded it, so it's being done. I'll ask this question, too, as introduction, because it can be confusing for people. You're reading this, and then we naturally think of maybe Catholic priests, or we think of modern-day pastors. Why did they need priests in the Old Testament, and specifically as you look here in Leviticus? 
Yeah, and this is a, a great thing. Uh, as I was hearing you uh, some at, during the early part, and I wasn't quite <laughs> in on the conversation, uh, I heard you rightly pointing to like the book of Hebrews and our great high priest, uh, Christ, who didn't have to be sanctified by all these uh, sacrifices and such because he's holy and pure and such. But also this uh, funnels so wonderfully into the book of Hebrews as well, because mm. what is it the job of a priest to do? What is a priest called upon to do is a, is a better way to put it. And uh, the priest, really, you can boil down to two major things. Number one, the priesthood was there for the offering of sacrifice. And two, uh, also to speak on behalf of the people to God. Now, this is fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings the sacrificial system to its fullness and to its uh, fulfillment in himself, giving himself as the sacrifice on our behalf. Um, and then also... Uh, through him, our great high priest, our prayers are offered up to God. This is even why we pray in the name of Christ, because it's mm. uh, in him that we offer this up. So uh, that's good to keep in mind, because hey, this is what's going on with the priesthood. This priesthood points forward to, it is, uh, uh, points forward to Christ, who is the fulfillment of it. But also, the New Testament teaches how we, as the body of Christ, the whole church, is a priesthood of believers. And so Christ is the high priest, and then we are the priesthood, all believers uh, under him. So what do we do? Well, we offer up prayers through him. No longer are sacrifices for sin necessary, but yet we are called upon to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's Romans chapter 12 and such. Mm -hmm. Okay, so any other thoughts? Uh, we have read the first four verses, but I want to make sure that you covered all the introductory thoughts that you had. Yeah, I think uh, that hits it well. Now, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in here that, uh, again, has already been set forth either in Leviticus or also in the book of Exodus. So it's kind of mm. playing out what the Lord had said. And this may be something you've already hit on before, but, you know, when reading the entire Torah, you know, really um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, it is a, it's a whole narrative, if you will. And you have these wonderful moments where, you know, you're covering a long period of time, but then at times it's kind of like this telescoping that you slow down and really take your time. And the Leviticus, book of Leviticus, is part of that slowing down where you've gotten the people of God out of Egypt. You've had the whole exodus take place, all the plagues that led up to that. They finally get to Sinai, which was one of the points of the exodus. God said, mm. hey, let my people go so they can come to Sinai and worship me there. And now we're at Sinai, and we've been here for quite some time, you know, the, the, the latter half uh, of Exodus. And now all of Leviticus is just kind of stopped there, and now it's all about everything that God has promised with the tabernacle and such is being carried out. So verses 1 through 4, we look at these verses. I'm just going to read them again, and I want to hear your thoughts. So we'll start here. Reminder to our listeners, we are hearing from the English Standard Version. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bowl of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So gather the crowd. What are they doing here? Yeah, this is not a private uh, ordination taking place. It is a public ordination. After all, the 
priesthood is being set aside. It's being ordained for their benefit so that sacrifices can take place for their benefits. Now, again, there are uh, some distinctions that should be rightly made between Old Testament priesthood and New Testament, if you will, our own time uh, with the pastoral office. But there's also some continuities between the two. And one of them would be this, is that just as it was a public matter for the ordination of Aaron and his sons as the priesthood, so also today when we have the ordination of a pastor and his installation at a given congregation, that it's a public matter, that we uh, do that with uh, the congregation gathering together. And one of the reasons is because hey, the pastoral office is established, and this pastor is being ordained and installed for the benefit of that congregation who is gathering in this very place. So uh, that it doesn't exist for its own purpose or for its own ends, but rather for the benefit of the church. And I've heard it said, the office of the public ministry, which comes to mind when I hear this. Any, Any thoughts on that? Well, most certainly so, and public in uh, a couple different ways. Public because, again, it's not done in secret. Even when you consider uh, the the public services of the church, uh, Sunday morning divine service, that this is something that we certainly don't do it in private, but rather people are gathering together, not only the congregation, but visitors at times as well. Um, It's also public in that we don't hide who is it that has been called to this very purpose. Now, we recognize also there are Christ gives out his gifts in many and various ways, but some of them are specifically uh, for the public ministry to go about because it's or the pastor within the public ministry. So Mm. a good example of that would be uh, the benefits of confession and absolution. So we rightly recognize the gift of absolution is given by Christ through his church. And in a private setting, any Christian can absolve sins on behalf of Christ. So uh, if I go home and I share with my wife that I had had a rough day and I was short with a forgiven student and how my conscience is now burdened, she can speak to me a word of forgiveness. And it's uh, Christ's own forgiveness that she has given to me. On the other hand, when it comes to the public uh, absolution, like what happens within the divine service when we gather on Sunday mornings, that is given in that public setting for the office of the public ministry. So uh, Mm. speaking on behalf of Christ, delivering his forgiveness to the people. And that connects so beautifully with your the, the sacrifice talk. Christ is the final sacrifice, and speaking on behalf for the for the people of the Lord. And so this is um, um, speaking on behalf of the people to the Lord. Excuse me. And so as we look at that, that that makes wonderful connections and empowers us to realize that this forgiveness and uh, this this work is also done in the home, even by our wives, our children, and others as well. Yes, yes. And you know, I, I have to say. Um, when, when your child forgives you, what a humbling and beautiful thing that is. And I will admit there are times I've had to say to my children, Dad, sinned against you, please forgive me. Right. And right. how beautiful, but also humbling that is that when they do for them, forgive. And that is exactly what our text points us to. So here we have four different things that are necessary for ordination. We have the vestments, we have the holy anointing oil, 
the three animals, uh, the burnt offering, the sin offering, burnt offering, and ordination offering is kind of what we're what we're feeling here. Any thoughts on the items that are gathered for the people by the tent of meeting? Right. So um, we'll get some of those in detail in the coming uh, verses, obviously. But also, again, hey, the reason that these things are necessary is because this is what the Lord himself has said is needed. Um, and furthermore, it's a good reminder that the office of here, the priesthood, and again, take it into our context, the office of the pastoral ministry is uh, given to deliver Christ's gifts. And so vestments help cover over the individual as, as a way to say, right now you're not dealing with Brady, you're dealing with <laughs> Pastor Finner, who right. speaks on behalf of Christ. And so when you hear the words of holy absolution, you may be hearing this man's voice, but it's not his words. You're hearing actually the very word of Christ. It's Christ who is absolving your sin. The vestments help carry that through, that it's the office. We do the same thing even in our public setting or in our, in our uh, secular lives, if you will. Uh, what do we do with our judicial officials? Well, a judge wears robes again that are befitting the office that that judge fills. We do it with police officers, that they wear a certain uh, uniform that, again, bespeaks the authority that's been given to them in that specific office. Right, and you see that all over the place, and then so there, and and I've seen this with an ordination where that they they put that chasuble over over this man, and you're right, and then he turns around and gives that final prayer and blessing, and it was just an obvious okay, there he is, he's in the office now, he turns around, and and in that covering we are reminded that's different than what I'm wearing. I mean, as far as for the people in the pews and such. And then he speaks the word of God. I mean, it was just a wonderful uh, uh, connection that we see the Old Testament to the New. Any, any, um, anything else with the objects that are there? We'll hear more about them later, but I just want to see if you had introductory thoughts on it. No, um, I think as we keep going through, we'll uh, pull them apart nicely. Sounds good. So let's continue on verses 5 through 9. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on them and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skill woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him and in the breastpiece, he put the Urim and the Thummim and he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. I love how it begins here. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. So all this is not Moses' idea of fashion or something, is that this is what the <laughs> Lord said to do. So what is yeah. break that down for us. What is, what is he doing here? What does this mean? Yeah. So I'm uh, again, I'm going to make a parallel to what we will experience with the ordination of a pastor is at the rite of ordination. The, one of the very first things we hear is what Scripture says about the institution of the pastoral office. In other words, this is not something that humans have come up with. And we think this is a great idea, but rather this is what the Lord himself has done. He's established this office and here's what he promises to do it. Uh, and so, again, you have that ongoing focus within this that. This is not by human uh, 
conniving. This is all by divine command. This is what he has said is, uh, is to be done. And so as you look at the items, you have ephod or breast piece, uh, um, all of these things. Because you see, I've seen some pictures in this, and I would encourage our listeners yep. either look up online or to look at other resources to look at that. But it, it, it feels like for us Lutherans, like, well, that seems kind of a little bit overdone because we're not used to quite that. What, what is the emphasis in your mind or what are your thoughts on the emphasis that he's trying to show? So there's several things. One, you get a little bit more detail about some of these items, again, back in the book of Exodus, when the Lord uh, gives his commands regarding the establishment of the tabernacle and the priesthood and such. For example, in verse 9 here, where it talks about uh, the golden plate that is on the turban, is that uh, back in Exodus, we find out that on that golden plate, it says, holy to the Lord. And that itself says something huge, holy, set aside for the Lord. So in other words, what is the priesthood to be about doing? And here specifically, it's Aaron who's wearing this as the, as the high priest. So what is the high priest to be all about? He's to be about doing what the Lord has given him to do. He is not a yes man for others. He's not there to bow before the social pressures, the societal demands of the day. No, he bends the knee to the Lord alone and does what he calls upon him to do. So that is of great significance. Also, the urim and the thumim. Now, this one always has people scratching their head, but this right. was something that as we continue to read uh, throughout uh, Scripture, that this was the means by which God gave them to make some decisions along the way. And uh, well, we don't know with 100% certainty exactly how they were used, but you uh, a good possibility is that the Urim and Thummim are kind of like one of them is yes and the other one is no, so that when a decision needs to be made, it's okay, let's grab one of them and, it, you, know, uh, you know, kind of uh, pulling it from a bag almost where you can't see what you're doing, and that will say, yes, we do this, or no, we don't. Go with option A or got option B. Now, again, to us, that sounds completely odd. That's not how we make decisions at our voters assembly or something like that. But it's even reminiscent about, hey, go to the book of Acts. And when they uh, are ready to fill the spot among the 12 that was vacated because of Judas's death, what did they do? They found who was qualified and they just essentially drew straws, right? That, uh, it, hmm. in other words, they, uh, they said, okay, we have what, uh, we have those who are qualified. We're going to let the Lord decide. And that's really kind of, in the end, a big point of the Urim and the Thummim is that who's making the decision? The Lord. And it may not be the way that you and I would want to make a decision, but nevertheless, this is what the Lord has established. And it's he who is driving the whole thing rather than us being the ones in charge. That's a great description because I, I, you know, I, like you said, scratching your head. You go to First Samuel twenty-eight, where it mentions that Saul inquired of the Lord. First Samuel twenty-eight, verse six, and uh, he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer by dreams, by Urim or the prophets. And so you do have this kind of confusing part of that. But once again, what's the focus? You put it at the foot of the Lord as opposed to yourself. And so that's yes. something that we maybe need to touch on a little bit after the break. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Leviticus chapter 8 with Dr. Kevin Golden, and we'll be right back.
On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 8 with Dr. Kevin Golden from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And we've gone through the first nine verses. And I think I love how you're doing this, Dr. Golden, because you are you're pointing us to the main things. We could talk all day about the ephah was made of this and made of that. And if you want to study that, I mean, go for it. There might be some places that have more on that. But what's the point? The point is that this man is being placed in the stead of the Lord to do his purposes for the holiness of God, taking hold of God's holiness and bringing it to his people. So thank you for keeping us focused there. In verse first nine verses, do you have anything else that you want to highlight? I might just say one more thing about even these vestments is notice their beauty. And it's, you'll get this also again if you look back to where this was commanded in the book of Exodus, that uh, we're not making uh, the vestments, nor will the tabernacle and eventually the temple in the days of Solomon, not going to be made from uh, the leftover scraps that you find at the side, but with the best. And that will also even be true as we hear about the sacrifices. The sacrifices are being taken from the best. Now that says something again about prioritization of our resources, but it also says something about the beauty and splendor of God, that God delights in that which is beautiful. So just as his presence is overflowing with the fullness of joy and of beauty, so also here, uh, when you have a reflection of that within what happens amongst his people, we go with what is beautiful and resplendent. Well, let's continue with that mindset of knowing that this is a reflection of the beauty of the Lord and the beauty of when we gather, as it says, um, uh, uh, a pleasing aroma. You know, this is something that is beautiful yeah. to the Lord and beautiful in the setting as well. So verses 10 through 13. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses." So the Lord continued to command Moses, and what did he do in these verses? He did what he was given to do. And uh, so here we specifically have, with that anointing oil, um, the setting aside of the tabernacle itself. So it's almost like not only do you have, in our own setting, the ordination of a pastor, but it's as if you're dedicating the church as well that uh, has just been constructed. You've got joy resplendent going on. But, you know, this itself is huge. Not only is it the establishment of the priesthood going on here with high priest Aaron being uh, anointed uh, and his sons along with him, but also you have 
the anointing of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place that God has set aside that he might dwell among his people with grace, mercy, forgiveness. After all, that's where the sacrifices are going to happen, the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And so this is a joyful, uh, monumental moment with this going on. This is not the only time that we have where God anoints uh, in order to set something or someone apart. We'll hear about later on, you have the anointing of kings that take place. Saul will be anointed king. David will be anointed king and such because they are set aside for God's purposes. And that's really what it means as we hear in these verses about uh, them being consecrated and the temple being consecrated, that it's set aside for the purpose that God has chosen, not just for any old purpose, but specifically for the purpose that he has chosen. Now, we did receive a question on this, and it reflects, it goes back to Psalm 133, verse 2. You know, it talks about how good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron, um, the collar of his robe. So it, I'm assuming there's a connection there. What connect? Do you have any thoughts on that? Did we lose him again? I think he uh, can hear me, but I can. We cannot hear him. So I'm going to wait on that because uh, uh, I know there's a connection. I know there's a unity, unity of the priesthood. As you look at Psalm 133, we had that in Bible study a few weeks ago in ours. But definitely is that anointing oil where you knew that this guy was the one who has been set aside for holy things, and it also connects us very closely to this understanding. Of, 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 of beauty, as he said before, that, that all of this is brought together, consecrated, and to show that we are receiving a bit of heaven at this time. And there's something about that when you see an ordination. My daughter went with me to an ordination a couple weeks or a couple months ago now. And one thing that struck her was she said, Dad, you know, all these pastors got together with robes on and they laid hands on him. And it was it was just you knew something serious was going on. She used, you know, 11 year old language when she said that. But you could tell even for her, I thought she'd be bored with the service, but she was not at all because she saw that this was a man being set aside to something serious, as you would see at a, a police academy when they get graduate or to a military um, and try to figure that out. Dr. Golden, are you back? I am back. All right. So did you hear my question, Psalm 133 and its connection? I did not. So Okay. So uh, the question was, Psalm 133, when it talks about the oil going down Aaron's beard onto the collar of his robes, what kind of connection is there to this as we hear in Leviticus 8? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that is a wonderful uh, depiction of uh, the great joy that is going on. That's uh, one of the uh, kind of major thrusts of that psalm is uh, the joy that is found because what is taking place? Well, here is the, the establishment of not only the priesthood, uh, but also the means by which God is going to bring about forgiveness for his people that they might dwell in peace with him and with one another as well. Uh, it, Perhaps this is something um, that we, well, this is what sinners do. We take things for granted and uh, <laughs> that we take for granted the peace that we have with God. And again, this is, uh, as you brought in earlier, the book of Hebrews, that's a major thrust within the book of Hebrews about how we approach God in peace. Now, especially 
in the divine service. We make use of this even uh, borrowing from the book of Hebrews as we have the confession and absolution. And again, something that in our sinfulness we will take for granted at times what a resplendent joy we have that we can actually approach God. So uh, within if you use Lutheran service books, setting three of the divine service, where we introduce confession absolution with words taken right out of Hebrews that really ties into this very well, that, um, that we draw near with a true heart and confess our sin unto God our Father. You know, how do we draw near to him? Well, Hebrews teaches us specifically in Christ, who's the fulfillment of everything we hear going on in Leviticus chapter 8. Well, let's keep moving forward. We'll go verses 14 through 21. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it, and Moses took the blood, and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it, and purified the altar, and poured out the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with the fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And he killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar, cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So here we have a sin and a burnt offering. Tell us about the connections here. So um, notice again the re ongoing refrain, as the Lord commanded Moses. So again, this is all in accord with what God himself has set forth. You might also notice again, uh, the, the choice portions are what are offered up to the Lord. So we even have the burning of the fat. Now, uh, in our age, some try to avoid the fat, although some of us recognize there's a great deal of uh, tastiness within that fat and such. Uh, but especially in the biblical world, hey, the fat was considered really the, the choice portion. Um, you even have this wonderful picture of this uh, in Isaiah chapter 25, where we are given a description of eternal life, uh, where God not only has swallowed up death forever, as we're told in Isaiah 25, and wiped away tear from all eyes, but how eternal life is this ongoing banquet, banquet with the best of meats and the finest of wines. And really, the Hebrew there really helps to emphasize that that best of meats is the fatty portions. All right? uh, this mm -hmm. is really what uh, they longed for and, and rejoiced in, that this was the choice kind of stuff. And so here the choice portions are set aside for the Lord, and they are offered up to him. There's also, of course, with the blood being shed, uh, that blood is there to purify. That's the word that is used regularly in these verses. And it's not only Moses as, priest, as high priest, his sons as uh, the priesthood, but also even the vessels, like the altar that needs to be purified. And, and think through that. You know, the altar itself is just stuff, if in the sense of it's not a human being who has willfully sinned, it's not an animal itself, but rather it is created items that have been used and constructed to 
bring this about in accord with God's purposes. And yet it still needs to be purified because this is the reality of the fall into sin. When the fall into sin took place, it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but they brought the rest of creation along with them. Since they were the crown of creation, had authority over creation, uh, the whole creation goes with them. As the head goes, so goes the rest. And so now, uh, the, the altar itself has to be purified as well from sin so it can be used for God's holy purposes. Everything is being set aside. <laughs> and that's one of the things that struck me is, it's, okay, here's the guy, because sometimes we can have that feeling, just take the guy, put him over there, okay, you are now the priest, uh, just go do your work, you know? But it, it definitely is showing the seriousness of everything that is there, that everything has a purpose, everything is to be cleansed, um, and, and, and it, it, you can't help but not think about, and we've had this theme over and over again so far in Leviticus, everything needs to be cleansed, everything needs to be purified in order to be with the Lord, and it all has a purpose. That's really struck me throughout this whole time. So any last thoughts on that before we move on? Um, well, one last thing I'll just throw in there is notice uh, there's a mention of it being poured out or uh, placed against seven times. Of course, right, that's right. a huge number biblically, um, um, but it's showing the, the fullness of what God is doing here in setting this aside. Wonderful. So we'll continue on as it starts talking about hands and feet, verses 22 through 29. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it in the lobe of Aaron's right ear and the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and on the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was set before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the piece of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of the sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, Dr. Golden, we did. I did receive an email prior to this uh, program just asking the question of, Tell us about the, the, the ear, the thumbs, the hand. What's going on there? Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is, again, where you and I are blessed that we are living on this side of the cross because when <laughs> you and I were ordained into the pastoral office, we had none of that going on. Now, I'm, I'm not really all that squeamish. I don't mind blood and such. But I'm fine that I didn't have any blood put on my earlobe, on my thumb, or on my big toe. Uh, right. um, but, but even there, again, it is pointing towards, again, this is the ordination offering. So this is the offering that is uh, being used to, if you will, purify, set aside um, Aaron and his sons for this office. 
And what are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to be hearing the holy word of God, and so their ear needs to be uh, needs to be sanctified, set apart, cleansed. They're also going to be handling the holy things of God within the tabernacle, with the sacrifices, and on down the line. And so their hands need to be set apart, consecrated, purified. And so blood is placed upon the thumb of their right hand. They're going to be walking in holy space, space that others are not allowed to go into. And so therefore, their feet need to be sanctified, purified, set apart, cleansed. And so the blood is placed on their big toe as well. Now, that uh, all points out a couple of things. Now, one, hey, whatever they're going to do, it needs to be consecrated and set apart and each part of them that they're going to be used in that regard needs to be done but also how the lord goes about doing things so hey if uh, why not take the whole hand and thrust it into the blood well mm. one answer is simply because hey, this is what the lord has commanded that this is what's to be done but here you can also understand it in much the same way again that what you see in the new testament when um the woman with the flow of blood, and she desires to be cleansed and to be made whole from that. And what does she do? She doesn't say, I need to immerse myself completely wrapping my arms around Christ, but rather, as long as I just touch the hem of his robe, it's going to be enough. All right. So that the Lord, just with a little, thrusts in his cleansing, his sanctifying work. And that's exactly what we have going on here. So as you look at the rest, it has a lot of uh, similar, well, we've gone through all of this. Now we have the wave offering. Um, we have other mm-hmm. you know, situations that's happening. And this is the, the, the ram of ordination, it says at the end. So these two rams, they've now been sacrificed. This is the process. These guys are set aside, as you've said, uh, so well and pointing us clearly to the cleansing that we have in Christ and his blood as we look at Revelation. So any other thoughts you have? Because I, I, there's a lot of repeat here, but there, you know, what I love about each of you as guests is you have a different emphasis. So anything else on verses 22 through 29? So, you know, I love the repetition, to be quite honest. And sometimes if, uh, yeah. if we give ourselves to the good discipline of reading through Holy Scripture, uh, certain things can cause us to sometimes bog down if we're going to read through the Bible in a year or something. And uh, this can be one of those is, why is there all this repetition about all these details? Now, here's one of the things that I would really offer up is that what uh, the, the fact that the Lord repeats this so much, and he goes into so much detail and is emblematic, it proclaims, it illustrates how chiefly concerned God is with dwelling among his people. This is all about the details of the tabernacle and the priestly sacrificial system, which is all about God dwelling among his people with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That's why we get so much repetition, so much detail about it. Now, you and I, we don't have that sacrificial system running today because it's been fulfilled in Christ. But again, that's what it really does then for us is it points us straight to Christ to say, hey, there's just how concerned God is with dwelling among his people, and not just dwelling among us, but also doing so with grace, mercy, and forgiveness, that look at everything he has done for us in Christ. And I really, you pulled that together so well, because I was thinking about this. 
Every day, I need grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So why would this not be repeated? <laughs> because that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I need. That's what my, my family needs at, the congregation needs at, and most importantly, I need that. And, and that's why the joy yeah. of repetition you might- is... You know, yeah, yeah, and uh, notice uh, the catechism teaches us this so well as far as, hey, how do you order your days? Every morning, get up, make the sign of the cross, pray the Lord's Prayer, speak the Creed, and then you have morning prayer. Every evening, make the sign of the cross, saying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pray the Lord's Prayer, speak the Creed, gospel, 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 forgiveness, grace, mercy, you know, is being poured out through each of those. And then you say evening prayer that, uh, hey, that repetition is what we need because that's what we need every day. Wow. Uh, well, let's keep moving as that grace, mercy, forgiveness is revealed, continued to be revealed. Verses 30 till the end of chapter 8. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his son's garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and the son's garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings. As I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire, and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For it will take seven days to ordain you. And as been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have command, been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all these things that the Lord commanded by Moses. I was thinking about this, this particular ordination that I was speaking of was two hours long and it was wonderful. Everything was just wonderful. But two hours is two hours, not seven days. So this was a long process <laughs> yeah. here. Dr. Golden, any thoughts as we see the lat- the end of chapter eight? Yeah, you know, seven days, it is a long process and <laughs> that's what they do. Because again, you have this for ongoing repetition of this is what the Lord has commanded. So this is what they did. Furthermore, notice how serious all of this is. In verse 35, it says about, uh, hey, do this so that you do not die, because this is what I've commanded. You know, this is, the Lord's word is serious. It's not as if we uh, ought to quaffle over it and say, well, you know, this doesn't make much sense to me. Well, I do all this. No, he's he's quite serious about it. Um, the The natural result, what we should expect when you deviate from what God has commanded is death which again gets back to why has the tabernacle been consecrated? Why has this office been established? It's also that there, there might be um, a means by which sin is forgiven so that you don't die. So as we look at the, this end, it really it, it puts it all together, the time range, the place, the, the rituals that are there. Pastor, we have about two and a half minutes left. So as we look at the consecration of Aaron and his sons, at the end of it, people say, no, it's pretty cool. Like ephods and, and belts and, and oil and uh, the gathering of the public ministry that's happening here. 
But what really does this connect for us today besides an ordination service? I mean, you're like, well, I went to an ordination service once. It was pretty cool. But how does that connect to us today as in our in our in our Christian faith? So I I think number one would be this, and this gets back to where you uh, wisely started us in the book of Hebrews where you have Christ as the fulfillment of all of this. And especially, notice all the sacrifices going on in here, plenty of blood, and this is not the only place that such things are going to be taking place. As you keep going through Leviticus, you'll end up at Yom Kippur. There's going to be more blood there and uh, all sorts of other places as well. It was earlier in the book of Exodus, back to Genesis, there's blood. You know, uh, Mm. all of that is going on, and Hebrews rightly uh, comments on that, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And again, that throws us directly at the feet of Christ, whose blood was shed so that there might be forgiveness for us. And what joy is ours in knowing that these, all these sacrifices that took place have found their fulfillment in Christ, so we have a perfect fulfillment of it, so that you and I can have perfect peace and confidence in knowing what Christ has done for us. So anything else you want to highlight? We have about a minute left here, Dr. Golden. As we look at the consecration of Aaron and his sons, we look at the church today uh, at the seminary right now, the image of beauty as part of your symposium. Um, and to, I wanted to really hit that in the end here about beauty. We look at all this and we see the beauty of the Lord. So about a minute left. Any thoughts on that as we close? So, so maybe the big thing I would hit on is there is nothing more beautiful than Christ himself as he takes our ugliness, our sin upon himself, and atones for it on the cross. Um, that this is um, how the Lord goes about, even in the midst of the cross, even in the midst of our personal suffering, but most especially in Christ's own suffering and death, that there we have the height of beauty itself. So even here, we hear about uh, the beautiful, if you go elsewhere, the beautiful materials that were used to make the vestments, uh, to make the tabernacle. But where is the even greater beauty? It's in the sacrifices that are taking place here that cleanse God's people, that they might be set before him purified and beautiful. And of course, again, this draws us straight to Christ, who's been sacrificed for us, there is beauty incarnate. Dr. Kevin Golden, Associate Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, given us God's strong word from Leviticus chapter 8. Dr. Golden, thank you for giving us the gifts. Hey, it's been my honor and pleasure. Saints of our Lord, we see the process, we see the intricate details that are brought, and what it did is it took these men, Aaron and his sons, the priests, set them aside, and if you notice throughout this whole thing, it was never about the priests. It was about covering them up so people will see the beauty of the Lord, that the holiness the Lord has would be showered upon his people. As Dr. Golden said so well, that they'd be showered with the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of the Lord. And we have that same thing with Christ. The Christ, as we sang, the beautiful Savior. And we look at all that, we realize he is our high priest, and he showers upon us by his sacrifice, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. All of this we enjoy, and all of this we give thanks. 
I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.